0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon and today we're going to have our second show on the Iran protests that have been going on and I'm very happy to have Dr. Ariana Tabatabai on the show to discuss this second round of, I guess we could say, Iran protest discussions. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. For our listeners, Dr. Tabatabai is a senior associate with the Proliferation Prevention Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and the director of curriculum and a visiting assistant professor at Georgetown University's Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service. She's also an international civilian consultant for NATO, a columnist for the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, a Truman National Security Fellow, and a 2017-2018 postdoctoral fellow at Harvard Kennedy School, School's Belfer Center for the Sciences and International Affairs, and her writing has appeared in numerous outlets, and she has done a lot of other media and press interviews, so she's a fantastic guest with a fantastic background for this topic, so I'm so happy to have you on the show, Dr. Tabatabai. to start okay. off with... Oh,
1: yes, go ahead. No, I was just going to say thank you. Um, And that was a very comprehensive uh, overview of my bio.
0: Yes, there's so much more, too. So I was trying to (laughs) edit it down as much as possible, but I didn't want to take away all of your amazing accolades. So (laughs) (laughs) to start off with, like, what has caused these protests? I mean, we had a show already that discussed the protests, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it as well.
1: Sure. Um, Well, the the protests really can go back to earlier in December 2017 when uh, President Rouhani unveiled the budget for the upcoming uh, year, the upcoming Persian year, which starts in March of 2018 and goes on until March 2019. Uh, In unveiling the budget, he uh, also started to talk about a number of uh, sort of Uh, issues relating to corruption, uh, to the shadow economy, uh, and to other issues that sort of people have known about uh, for a long time, but that had never really been uh, this formally acknowledged, certainly in such a high profile uh, way by uh, one of the, the, you know, top officials in the country, uh, the second top official in the country, in fact. Uh, So following that, and the fact that, you know, you haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, economic benefits from the nuclear deal, uh, a lot of change in people's purchasing power, unemployment, uh, all the issues that affect their day-to-day lives. Uh, all of these things started to sort of turn into a, 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 a snowball, essentially, and uh, started to spill over into the streets of, uh, first, the city of Mashhad, which is one of the more conservative uh, major cities in, in the country, in the northeast of region of the, the country, and then eventually to the rest of the, the country as well. Uh, one more thing to, to think about as well is that, you know, in the past few weeks, uh, we had started to see a lot of uh, commentary memes, gifs or gifs. I still don't know how how you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, uh, about the price of eggs and poultry and and other uh, sort of daily goods that people need, and uh, and those prices, the price hikes uh, had started to really get you know um, uh, generate a lot of criticism uh, by hardliners, uh, but also by the broader population. So all of these, it's the issues and events combined are what has led people to come out and take to the streets and, and protest. And
0: so this proposed budget that Rouhani has put out, and, and there's word that it's been leaked, and that's part of this, what sort of things are in this proposed budget that are really upsetting the public of Iran?
1: I don't know that it's necessarily the budget itself that is upsetting people as much as it's actually the what, what is going on around it. Uh, you know, the budget is pretty standard in, in some ways. And I'm, I'm not an economist, so I won't go into the details of the budget. That's a question for somebody who's a lot better with numbers than I am. But, but generally speaking, there is nothing outrageous in the budget from, from my perspective. So what is going on, I think, is, uh, the fact that you have, you know the nuclear deal was delivered now uh, two years well uh, more than two years ago. It's the implementation process started two years ago. Uh, Rouhani ran two uh, campaigns uh, and and was elected twice on the promise of economic recovery. Really, that's the major thing that he's promised. Um, and and you 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 know for the average Iranian. Um, despite all the promises, despite all the fanfare around, you know, the nuclear deal and and uh, the normalization and and uh, the, the delegations visiting Iran from you know Western countries, from other uh, countries to create partnerships, uh, economic ties, etc., none of those things are felt by the average Iranian, uh, which is what is sparking sparking uh, the the discontent that you're seeing today.
0: And you just mentioned. A little bit ago that the protests started in Mashhad. What is the significance of them starting in Mashhad versus a big modern city like Tehran, a capital?
1: So, you know, Mashhad is not typically known for being the center of protests and and reform movements in Iran. Um, you know, these things typically start um, in other uh, cities in Tehran, of course, where you have the majority of the population. Uh, and uh, the city of Tabriz is well known in, in the northwest for having been uh, the center and, uh, and the initiator of a number of movements as well. Uh, Mashhad is not typically the the Front runner uh, here, it's certainly not the flag bearer for reform movements and uh, and protests. So that's an interesting departure from previous uh, protest movements that we had seen. Uh, the other thing too is that you know this is. Uh, one of the the major Shia holy sites in um, well, for all Shias, but especially in in Iran, uh, it's where the eighth Imam is buried. His mausoleum is there. It's a very uh, it's a much more conservative, much more religious city um, than uh, most of the other major cities in in Iran. Which is not to say that of course everybody is you know uh, religious and everybody's you know um, uh, conservative and and so on. But but it is typically seen as more conservative, more more religious. And so the fact that this is the time, this is the place where this time around uh, protests are starting is pretty interesting. And it kind of indicates that there is something different about these protests that we hadn't necessarily seen in 2009, for example. So I've heard
0: rumors that there's a thought out there that Rouhani has angered one of the conservative religious figures. And what you said about Mashhad seems to connect with this. Uh, have you heard these rumors, and do you think that part of the protests are sparked by this idea of competition between uh, conservatives?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is really the, the kind of infighting that is now spilling into the streets, really. The, the infighting that had started within the establishment, right? The The question of... You know how much opening up of the Iranian economy, of the political system, is uh, enough or too much? How much of it is needed uh, to uh, to generate the change and uh, and bring about the economic benefits of the nuclear deal? Uh, was the nuclear deal really the the, the best way to to, to approach uh, Iran's economic? Uh, issues to begin with um, wh- what kind of what does the islamic republic want to look like right these are questions that had already started um, uh, that, that people were having within the establishment and one example that you I, maybe that's what you're alluding to is that a while ago there was this uh, sort of conservative cleric who had asked for a concert to be banned and banned in mashad you know sort of arguing that look the people of mashad are, are religious this is where they come for uh, prayer and and um, and and uh, to, to go and visit the the holy site they're not here to listen to concerts and to music um, of course, you know the more hardline uh, sort of clerics believing that music you know should be limited in in many ways anyway um, and then you had this whole back and forth between uh, the more conservative elements and the more, um, reformist is perhaps not the best way of putting it, but the, uh, more liberal, I guess, um, elements of the, the religious establishment saying, look, this is not a problem we should worry about, um, let people have their concert, you know, nothing, nothing stops, uh, the, one of the, uh, uh, holy sites in the country from having a cultural life that is not directly linked to religion, um, and then from there, you had all these questions about what you know the what's a religious um, city, what a cultural, uh, what you know religious culture, I guess, uh, should look like in in the country, um, and has really translated into the conversations that people are having today uh, on the streets.
0: And then, speaking of the conversations on the streets, who are the protesters? I mean, are they just a regular Iranian citizens, are we seeing any people aligned with political factions, and also what are their demands?
1: So my understanding of of this um, from, you know, the the reporting I've seen uh, is that uh, what what initially started this whole thing was actually a more hardline uh, push and a more hardline kind of protest movement, um, if you want to call it that. Um, and slowly, or I guess not so slowly, and, and, and it's a matter of a few days, uh, it actually completely changed from sort of the hardliners trying to push back against Rouhani's agenda to then uh, the broader population, uh, the majority, it seems, from, again, the reporting that, you know, it's working class uh, uh, people coming out to the street and making uh, demands that were very much related to the to the economy. Uh, so you know, in that sense, it's a bit of a departure from previous movements, uh, including you know, people are pointing to 2009, um, the green movement, uh, which uh, started after um, uh, the hardline President Ahmadinejad was reelected for the for a second and and final term. Uh, people are pointing to that to that movement, and saying, look, you know, there are contrasts here, there are similarities here, and I think the major sort of uh, uh, con- uh, point of um, uh, the, Sort of What is different between uh, the two movements seems to be that you now have a more working class uh, majority uh, as opposed to the more middle class um, uh, uh, composition of the, of the green movement. In terms of the demands, uh, you know, it seems like, again, this has been fairly centered around uh, the economics. Uh, most of the issues have been, you know, how do I make ends meet? How do my son or my daughter uh, who have, uh, you know, a degree or several degrees in some cases who are unable to, to get a job, how are they supposed to, you know, start a life um, to uh, make ends meet? And what is what's what does what their future entail? Um, so the questions are very much the sort of pragmatic day to day issues that that people are, are facing. That said, there has also been a uh, kind of an intensification of uh, the the demands. People have started to question uh, the you know broader policies, other uh, political issues uh, and social issues that um, that were not really part of this at the very beginning of of the movement. Some of it is very much echoing what was going on in two thousand and nine as well.
0: I mean that is one of the basis of basis of a lot of the tensions in Iran is this this reality that the Iranian society has a lot of young people that are highly educated, but with not a lot of prospects, which for society can cause a lot of problems. And, and it seems like we're seeing this stem into the discussions and the anger that we're seeing in the protests currently.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, one of the things that Rouhani has really grappled with, and I think that he will continue to grapple with for the next two years, is the issue of unemployment. Um you know, it's not enough to be able to show that you have the nuclear deal, that you have started to normalize relations with, you know, the, the with the Europeans anyway, um, that you have, you know, trade delegations, you have uh, con- frequent contact with various leaders. What people want to see is actual change in their daily lives. And that seems like for m- the majority of the sort of, uh, uh, at least, uh, you know, the working and middle class, um, in, in Iran, that's not really the case. So you do have a population that is uh, very much educated, um, relatively young, um, and that does not really have opportunities and prospects coming out of a four year, six year or, you know, 12 year degree. Uh, So that that does make it very challenging for Rouhani, who needs to be able not just to kind of show symbolically that he's signed a a piece of paper or a piece of, you know, 160 uh, pieces of paper, rather, nuclear deals um, uh, is a a huge document, but rather that you're able to kind of bring that into, uh, into, make it work and, and, and have that have an impact on people's lives.
0: Going back to the protesters, Have the protesters seemingly been leaderless, or are we seeing groups of protesters that are advised by a leader, so to speak?
1: I think that's also one of the other um, major points of, um, you know, the, the major sort of differences between today and 2009 in that, in 2009, yes, it was a grassroots movement. Yes, people were coming out, you know, um, organizing, um, using Twitter and and sort of, you know, the, uh, the I guess sort of traditional communications means, etc. But there was a leadership, right? You did have people whom uh, whom the the protesters were. Uh, galvanizing around, so you know you had Musavi and Karubi who were representing uh, the change that people wanted and who came to symbolize that today that 's not really the case from what we're seeing, uh, it seems like this is very much a grassroots movement it 's very much leaderless, and um, it doesn 't seem like there is a cohesive sort of unified uh, position uh, or even agenda that people are pursuing. Again, you have the economic threat that that links everything uh, and everybody together. Uh, but you also have people who've been protesting the regime, you know, very fundamentally sort of burning photos, uh, images of, of uh, the Supreme Leader all the way to people who are saying, well, you know, I don't really want regime change. I don't want transitional power. What I want is basically to be able to buy eggs for my family. So you do have these this sort of range that exists um, that is uh, fairly different from from what we had seen in the past
0: has been the reaction to these protests uh from the security forces
1: so so far um and and you know as we speak today um uh, friday it seems like the protests have died out a little bit it seems like things have been contained uh to some extent uh but um you know the 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 sort of uh, response for the most part did not have to be as uh as vast and as forceful as it was in 2009 uh the revolutionary guards have been uh deployed in a few places it seems uh uh and and you know you've had a range of reactions from uh various people in the in the leadership so you know you had uh, the supreme leader who said what you would expect him to say which is essentially you know uh people are being um uh, you know, the, the foreign agents are behind the protests, all the way to somebody like Rouhani, who was saying things like, look, we need to listen to people, people should be able to organize, and we should take what they're saying into account. So you've had a range of views and, and positions on this, which again, goes back to the infighting, you don't have a single way in which people in the establishment, in the security forces, are thinking about, uh, about these issues. And one more thing I, I do want to highlight is that, you know, we tend to think of Iran's security forces as this sort of monolithic hardline element, um, and that's not really the case. Um, you do have a range of views, people who are more socially conservative, people who are less socially conservative. Um, and, and so uh, people, the, the reactions have been uh, varied as well there. And have we seen any level of violence? I
0: mean, I have heard reports of high numbers of individuals being arrested, but um, as opposed to the 2009 um, protests, we saw, I feel like, much more violence on the streets.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, you know, also it's important to note that the scale of these protests is very different from 2009. You know, in 2009, you had millions of people uh, out in the streets. So the response, of course, had to be very different if the the government, if the regime wanted to sort of, you know, crack down and effectively make people go back home and not come out again. Uh, Whereas today, that's not the case. You're not seeing millions of people. It's a much more uh, it's a smaller um, sort of movement, um, if you can even call it a movement, uh, than in 2009. So the response has been um, sort of, you know, similarly has been uh, different, has been uh, on a smaller scale. Uh, the last report I saw was that there were about 20 individuals who were killed. Uh, there have been, you know, a number of uh, arrests as well. I don't know if uh, that number has gone up since uh, since I lost I last saw it, but uh, but certainly that this is a very different scale from what we'd seen in, in 2009. Has
0: been the government's reaction towards the protests,
1: and has the government
0: had any negotiations with leaderless protesters, this leaderless movement, or are they just staying away from the people at this point?
1: I think it's too early to tell. Um, you know what kind of um, negotiation, whether you know it's a literal negotiation, essentially you know people sitting down with elements within the the pro, you know essentially protesters. Uh, or some sort of uh, unilateral concession by the government. I think it's too early to to tell, uh, since the protests seem to only be uh, slowing down uh, now, uh, after a couple of weeks. Uh, But from uh, what I've seen so far, uh, again, I think that people have reacted exactly how you would expect them to react, uh, with Khamenei being much more forceful and sort of dismissing uh, the protests as kind of a foreign uh, uh, backed, uh, movements. Uh, this is kind of what you're seeing from, um, conservative and hardline uh, uh, social media accounts as well. Uh, and then, you know, it goes all the way to, uh, people within the government, uh, Rouhani and his team who have been talking about, um, you know, uh, taking, you know, listening to what the protesters are saying, and to, to try to make adjustments um, and, and to, to try to uh, accommodate them on some level. What I, I, I did see a couple of days ago was that there, see, you know, there are movements to try to, movements is not exactly the right word, but um, they're, they're try, the government is trying to, for example, adjust the price of eggs um, and, and lower the price of certain goods so that um, you know, it, can, it can show to people that it's listening to them, that it's, going, that it's taking their, uh, their uh, uh, concerns into account, that it's going to try to address them. So I think what, we're going to, what is important to watch in the next few days and the next couple of weeks is what kind of concessions are made by the government uh, to, to the people and whether or not people think that that's enough.
0: So we've talked a little bit about comparisons between the 2009 Green Movement protests and the current ones, such as the scale of how many people have been on the streets protesting, the level of violence, uh, the demands, but I would like to talk about this a little bit more, and especially how in 2009 Tehran played a much bigger role in the protests than we are seeing today. Could we discuss this a little bit and the reasons?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Tehran is, uh, is typically at the center of these sort of uh, movements because, you know, it's the capital. Uh, as you would expect with any capital, it is also where uh, you have people from all over the country going to study, to work. Uh, So, you know, you're looking at millions of people in the city of Tehran, I think, and I don't have the exact numbers at this point, but I think it's uh, upwards of 12 to 15 uh, million people live in the city. Uh, And so you have uh, people from all over the country uh, who are going there to study in the universities and who are working there. So naturally, it's going to be one of the places that is going to be at the forefront of any kind of reform movement and protest movements. Um, and that's been traditionally the case um, in Iran. You know, the revolution itself, the 1979 revolution, for example, is, is one of them. Uh, so, so it's it's sort of you naturally expect Tehran to be uh, the the you know front and center, which is not the case uh, here. And that's what is really interesting. It seems like. Uh, again from from the reports and not being there it seems like what people the the majority of the protests have been scattered around different cities and towns across the the country uh so that is an interesting uh sort of point of departure from uh 2009 and again i think there's the element of class here that we also need to to point out that you know 2009 was uh, very much the movement of the middle class. Uh, I happened to be in, in Iran in 2009, so I was you know, sort of uh, uh, up close you know, watching what was going on. And most of the people who were marching you know, next to me were students, were people who were uh, uh, you know, sort of young-ish, uh, you know, post-revolution, uh, the post-revolution generation, people who had not necessarily known the time of the Shah um, or even the revolution itself. Uh, So, you know, a a kind of a different um, mix of people than than what you seem to be seeing uh, today.
0: And also, technology played a very big role in the 2009 Green Movement protests. And I think to an extent it probably is as well in these protests, but Not at the same scale, and I'm sure that's for a number of reasons. I'm sure the Iranian government learned a lot from 2009 and how to prevent technology from being used to
1: help movements. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, again, this is something that's a little actually completely outside my area of expertise. But the 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 few things that are interesting uh, to watch are that you know Twitter was uh, really. Uh, uh, was a galvanizing force was a really important platform in 2009 people were using it a lot to signal where they were uh, you know here's where the organization uh, or the the protests are happening and also using it to communicate uh to the outside world what was going on in the in iran at the time uh, and that was the first of these sort of movements, um, you know, later on, with, you, you saw that the same thing with the Arab Spring, but it was the first one where Twitter and, and a social media platform was really at the center of what was going on. Um, that said, I would also like to, to say that, you know, you've had accounts of the 2009 movement where people have said, you know, we've tended to exaggerate um, the, the role of social media. So uh, I don't want to p- put this as a, you know, it's exactly what happened. It's a fact. It's, you know, it's disputed. Uh, But I do think that, again, based on personal experience not being data or not being uh, necessarily uh, a stat, um, it's it was a helpful tool that people were using. What you're seeing today is that you, number one, have a a range of social media platforms uh, that people didn't necessarily have at the time. You have Telegram, WhatsApp. Uh, Instagram, you know, other um, media uh, platforms I'm, I may not necessarily be familiar with. Uh, and you've seen a lot of uh, the the sort of, um, the, you've seen propaganda by heartliners, for example. You've seen uh, counter uh, arguments, counter um Messaging by, uh, by the protesters, uh, play out in Instagram and Telegram. Uh, these various, uh, me, uh social media platforms were shut down briefly, um, and during certain days, um, by, uh, the government. Um, uh, so Telegram, for example, was shut down at some point. I think WhatsApp was sort of in and out. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, obviously the government does see these, um, these, uh, platforms as both sort of an opportunity, right? It allows, uh people to to uh use it to um for, for propaganda purposes, the regime does. At the same time, it also sees them as a threat in that they are a tool that allows people to galvanize, to to um uh to proliferate information about um you know what's happening on the ground and to then communicate it to the outside world and and to each other. Um what is interesting though is that I saw I think yesterday that the um the Chinese platform, WeChat, um, which is kind of like their, Insta, their, their WhatsApp, I guess, um, they have started to open up to the Iranian market and they're hoping to become the next, you know, Telegram. Telegram is the most popular, I guess, uh, of these messaging apps in Iran. And um, WeChat is now trying to replace um, Telegram um, and, and hoping to kind of, uh, you know, gain, the, gain grounds there and, and present an, an alternative uh, for, for people as well which is typically the case. So what what happens in Iran is that the government gets both the tools to um, uh, to censor, you know, various social media platforms from China and Russia. Uh, and then people then use um, uh, different means to break the filter and circumvent the, the uh, limitations to the access uh, from Chinese and Russian companies as well. So that's always an interesting one to me that, you know, they're selling both the, the disease and the antidote um, at the same time uh, to the Iranians. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Looking at the broader context of these
0: current protests, what might they say for Iranian politics right now and in the near future?
1: Oof, um, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is a challenging one. Um, Look, I think uh, the, at least what we can say safely is a few things. One is that I think um, here in the United States, the administration is getting way ahead of itself in terms of um, the the impact that it thinks or it wishes uh, to see from, from the protests. Um, you know, the major foreign policy changes that... That people hope to see from Iran, none of that is going to happen. Um, or at least you can say safely that you know, with, with some confidence that, th- that it's not going to happen. Iran is not going to stop, you know, um, funding Hezbollah and um, and uh, supporting Hamas and, and the Houthis. Uh, it's also not going to fundamentally change the way it um, interacts with the United States and and the West. So I I think that that's the first thing is, you know, what the protests are not going to do. What they're not going to achieve is this sort of broader, big strategic um, shift in the way Iran thinks about foreign policy, security decisions. What it can do... Is it can get um, certain concessions? I think they're going to be more modest, more tactical, and more economic focused, um, and more domestic. I mean, 100% essentially uh, domestic focused from the regime and from the government uh, to the people. Um, and and so that's that's the space to watch in, in my view in the next, um, I would say, three years. You know, the, the remainder of uh, of, um, of Rouhani's term, uh, and not so much what Iran does on the international. Uh, Front. The uh, other thing that I think is interesting here, too, is that, you know, there is uh, and and people often talk about, you know, what does the Iranians what what do Iranians want? You know, what does uh, Iranian society look like? How does it um, uh, how is it different from the regime and how does it see things, uh, the policies uh, uh, of the regime? And I think that, you know, generally uh, the Iranian society has been pretty uh, active. It's a very dynamic civil society. Uh, People are pointing to these protests as very rare. That's not true. You know, we've seen protests, um, uh, uh, you know, and and reform movements and and, uh, all kinds of movements in the past uh, century, century in in Iran. Uh, So it's a very dynamic and active civil society. Um, And so, you know, you are going to see these sort of Movements and and uh, and protests occur from from time to time. What I think is interesting is you know um, how the government responds and adjusts to them. In two thousand and nine, for example, the the initial uh, response was a crackdown, right, which was uh, very forceful. You know, people were killed, people were imprisoned, um, and uh, the leaders of the the movements were put under house arrest. They still are. Um, and then things kind of died down. Uh, but at the same time, there was an impact uh, the, the impact of the green movement was felt on the 2013 elections and on what happened next. So it was a more dragged out, slower sort of um, uh, impact than what people would have expected, I guess, or hoped. Uh, and I think that, you know, this is um, this is another place where something like this could happen. You may see the movement or the protest dying down. Uh, uh, slowly, you know, uh, and and may not necessarily see the, the the changes in the immediate future, but you could see them down the line. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the problem is that we often tend to uh, look at foreign policy, uh, and and you know, domestic politics in other countries, and and hope for a quick, you know, uh, shift in how countries do things, and that's more often. Uh, that not not the case, right? That that these things happen don't happen overnight. They happen slowly and gradually.
0: And on the flip side, what has been the Trump administration's reaction to the protests, and how have they woven in the nuclear deal rhetoric um, with these protests?
1: So um, the administration's response um, has been. Um, well, the president has been tweeting a lot about, uh, the, uh, the, the protests, um, uh, you know, they, they caught his attention fairly, uh, fairly early on. Um, and, um, it's been one where he sort of posited that people are seeking big change, that they're finally waking up to what the regime is up to. And they're finally sort of, you know, becoming wise, I think, is the, the term he used to what the regime is up to. Uh, and, um, and sort of, you know, um, uh, arguing that what the protesters want is, you know, Iran to stop funding terrorism abroad and to focus on its own citizens. Uh, the This is the message that you've heard from a lot of other officials, but also lawmakers. Um, so you've had... Um, Uh, for example, um, Sarah uh, Sanders, uh, the press secretary, uh, talked about, you know, the president wants to see an end to uh, the support, uh, Iranian support for terrorism. Uh, Vice President Pence said the same thing. And, you know, you've seen it from uh, everybody from Marco Rubio to John McCain. So um, Senator Rubio, for example, tweeted it both in in English and in Persian. Uh, So this is this has sort of been the message that people have been Uh, in in the Beltway, essentially, have been um, uh, sending to to Iran and the Iranian people. Uh, um, I would say that there's a few things um, here. The first one is that I think the the messages that that the president and his team are sending are ill-informed on a number of um, uh, levels, and they also tend to, as has been the case with his statements and remarks about Iran in the past, they are a little, you know, insulting uh, as they try to be complimentary. So, for example, he says, you know, the Iranian people are finally getting wives. Well, that's not true. The Iranian people have been fighting um, for their rights for a number of years now. You know, 2009, 1979 arguably didn't go the way most human rights experts would want it to go. But that was also a reaction to uh, dictatorship and uh, and the lack of rights and so on, all the way to the um, early twentieth century. So. Um, so this is sort of insulting to the average Iranian who's looking and seeing that, you know, they have, you know, people died uh, in 2009 and they're, um, and the president is saying, oh, you're finally waking up. Uh, you know, good morning, Iran. Well done. You're, you're finally understanding what's going on in, in your own country. Um, <laughs> the other the other thing is that, again, I think the, the, the expectations are way too high in that, you know, this is not really about you know, Iran support for terrorism. This is not the, the main issue there. Um, it may be tangentially related. Um, some people may have questions about it. Um, certainly this is not, um, you know, um, not everybody supports Iran's policies abroad in, in Iran. Uh, uh, you know, it's been a, a controversial issue, but this is not the main thing that is driving the protests. And, ex- and also, you know, you can't expect it to, uh, to the, the protest to essentially end Iran's regional policies because they're a completely different thing. They're, you know, Iran sees those as vital to its security um, and it's a very different topic from what is happening today and, and the economic issues that, that people are protesting. So, um, so I think that, you know, the, the, the administration is sort of not fully understanding what's going on in Iran and Partly, it's too early. You know, we we don't have all the the information yet. This is not a you know these movements are always messy, right? Protests are messy. Domestic politics are messy. It's not something that you grasp and you can explain in 100. Well, it's no longer 140 characters, but whatever, however many characters you're allowed to to use on Twitter these days. So you know these are these are complicated issues, and um and the problem is that the administration is looking for quick fixes and is looking for quick reactions. And this is not the kind of thing that lends itself to that. Um, I think I forgot the second part of your question.
0: <laughs> oh, the nuclear deal. How has, oh, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, I think the um, Senator Corker is actually the one who uh, who's captured this the best from, from my perspective uh, among lawmakers and officials today. Uh, you know he said that the the protest should not impact how the administration thinks about the nuclear deal and um, Secretary uh, mattis as well um, I think today said something along the lines of you know we're not thinking we're, we're divorcing the issue of the protest from the nuclear deal as we 're advising the president and I think that's exactly the right approach um, uh, for for the administration to take so um I, you know the, the the president himself has been eager to link the two issues, but not in a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, so he said, you know, the Iran um, has received a lot of benefits from the nuclear deal. Uh, but the people, uh, sorry, sorry uh, he said the opposite of that this time around. He said, you know, despite the the very terrible deal that the the, the Obama administration had concluded, Iranian uh, Iranians are not seeing the benefits and are not um, uh, are not econo- recovering economically. Uh, from you know years of uh, sanctions and and isolation, uh, and this is a bit of a departure from what he said in the past, which was, if you remember, during the campaign, he kept referring to you know the Obama administration gave them everything. They went from essentially being a failed state to today being you know a, a very rich country that can spend all this money around the world. Um, so it's a bit of a departure from from that. Um, but he's also not in a way that makes a lot of sense connected the two issues. So we don't really know if the protests are going to uh, change the way he thinks about the sanctions waiver that is supposed to, you know, uh, kick in in a few days. The president is supposed to issue a waiver um, and and, um, decide whether or not he wants to continue the nuclear deal essentially. Um, And we don't know if that's something that he's going to think about as he's thinking about waiving um, the sanctions uh, that said you know again I think Senator Corker and secretary Mattis uh, and, and presumably others are in favor of keeping the two uh, you know comp- compartmentalizing the two issues and keeping them separate uh, and I think that's the that's the right way to approach the issue
0: well we like to give our guests a moment if time permits which I think it does. Uh, to maybe touch on something that we might not have discussed in the conversation or to have a final thought. So I would like to hand the floor over to you for that. I,
1: I, think, <laughs> I think we covered everything, um, uh, you know, twice or more. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think, you know, what, the, the big things to watch for um, uh, as, as the protests continue um, uh, in, in the next few days Uh, And as we approach the the deadline for the president to renew uh, the sanctions waivers, I think it's important to, number one, uh, look at how uh, the, you know, the the government's response to the protests uh, shapes what's going on on the ground. Uh, Again, it seems like the government is beginning to uh, provide certain concessions, um, dropping the price of goods and products. Uh, And seeing whether or not those things are going to essentially, you know, keep people happy and and send them back home uh, at least until the the next election cycle. Um, So that will be a good indicator of whether or not this can be, this can become a broader movement or if it's really just going to remain focused on people's day to day lives. Uh, The second thing to to think about is, you know, the uh, Iran's regional activities and uh, how the protests may affect what's happening there. Uh, again, I think I'm not I'm not optimistic that what is going on domestically is going to affect how Iran is behaving in, in uh, Yemen and Afghanistan and in, in Iraq and, and in Syria. Uh, I, I, I don't see a, a lot of departure from past policies there, um, simply because I think that that those are seen as a purely security matter um, you know, we can disagree with, with that, uh, characterization, but, uh, at least from Iran's perspective, this is about defending, um uh, you know, the country and making sure that threats don't, uh, come to Iran's own borders. So, um, so I don't see the protests, uh, fundamentally changing that, 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 that viewpoint. And I don't think that the protesters are necessarily challenging that either. I think that, to the extent that protesters have been talking about, um, uh, you know, Iran's presence in other countries, there've been some slogans to to that effect or support for various groups. Uh, They've been very much linked to the economic side of things and not so much to, uh, you know, um, uh, a broader ideological or security question. Well,
0: thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Tabatabai. And especially with such a quick turnaround because we sent out the invite fairly soon and you said you could be on the show in a couple of days. (laughs) I really appreciate it, especially with all of the developments
1: that are taking place as we speak. So thank you so much for coming on the Loopcast. That, That was really fun. Thank you for having me.